Hello and welcome to the Global Cosmetics News Podcast. Today we'll be talking about beauty and bacteria and how the microbiome skincare movement has responded to the challenges and opportunities created by COVID-19. But first, it's my pleasure to introduce our panel. From the US, we have Jay Teisman, Research Fellow at PNG, also Larry Wise, founder at the soon-to-be-launched wellness brand Symbiome. Live from London, we have Maria Drago, founder at indie brand Galani. And joining us from Hamburg, we have Harold van der Hooven, product director of design and development at ingredient supplier CLR. Over the past six months, the whole world has been talking about bacteria, but more importantly, how to get rid of it. Can the research into the microbiome help the fight against coronavirus? What, if anything, is the microbiome movement doing in this space? Jay, what's happening at P&G? Well, I mean, um, the intersection is actually very important because uh, a healthy microbiome is equivalent to a healthy immune system. And um, gaining a deeper understanding into how we can develop a healthy immune system that uh, is, is with the, the correct um, balance of the right microbes can really have an impact on how we respond to things like SARS-CoV-2 or other types of infections. And Harold in the ingredient space? And we're learning, I think. That's uh, that's a very short summary of, of what's going on. I think the con- the consumer is is is, is uh, definitely uh, changing or have ch- has changed their mentality and have uh, um, are very uh, aware of bugs and microbes and and, and viruses, etc. And uh, I do agree with, agree with Jay that uh, basically uh, a healthy microbiome uh, and a healthy immune system are inter interchange intercha- interchange so to say. So they're they're uh, both. Um, uh, dependent from each other so to say and that's what we learn we try to learn from what's happening in the skin and what's happening with microbes and especially their interaction between the two and that is a ongoing process and healthy skin marie this is something that you're very interested in or your company is you've just launched a new food supplement uh, for us, it's been quite interesting over the last six months. We went from, oh my God, like consumers are not going to want to talk about bacteria because all bacteria are going to be bad. And that's not what happened. Actually, people have been talking about skin immunity a lot. And I think we kind of need to be careful because there's so much that we can do with skincare and people are starting to have very high expectations about what microbiome skincare or taking care of your microbiome can do. And typically related to COVID, uh, we are not preventing the spread of COVID with skincare products uh, or unless we can prove it. Uh, so it's interesting to see how much um, hope uh, cons- consumers are pining on this uh, new kind of skincare. And Larry, you've taken uh, coronavirus as an opportunity to launch a brand? Well, they sort of coincided, so I guess it is an opportunity. Mm. Uh, our interest is a little different. What we're trying to do is um, understand and restore the lost um, evolutionary resilience in our response to things like this. So if you look at the range of expressions of how people respond when exposed to this virus, they range everywhere from completely asymptomatic all the way up to a lethal response. And we believe that there is a resilience that underlies our health. And that is uh, based on 
an awful lot of things that we don't understand, some things we can speculate on, and a little bit where we have evidence. So we're trying to understand and expand that, that range of understanding so that rather than having to treat all this disease, we can restore some of the resilience, bolster our health so that when something like this comes along, more of us have the response that's loaded towards the asymptomatic side and fewer of us have the response that is potentially lethal. So over the past uh, six months, there has been issues with washing and over-sanitizing. Um, soap versus hand sanitizer, which is better, worse for the skin? What's the microbiome movement perspective on this? Harold, ingredients, soap or hand sanitizer? I don't know what's worse, to be honest. If you have a mild soap, you're going to be fine. If you have a very severe soap with lots of surfactants, then you're going to be washing out so much beautiful ingredients like ceramides and natural moisturizing factors from your skin. You're going to be in trouble when it comes to the microbiome. Uh, it all depends on, on the frequency you use the soap or hand sanitizer, I guess, when uh, you're using it frequently, hourly, even quicker or more often than that, then your microbiome will not be able to cope, will not be able to recuperate from 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 uh, from that that stress basically if it's just once a day then uh, you, your microbiome will be a bit let's say a bit more robust and will be able to recuperate for us as in the in the, in the skin microbiome skincare industry where i'm talking from a, from a active ingredients point of view Essentially, we start with the skin. We look at the skin and, and uh, we have the mentality uh, that this healthy skin is healthy microbiome. So if you help the skin and, and help the differentiation process in the epidermis and these kinds of things, you will at least help the microbiome as much as you can. Will it be sufficient when you sanitize your hands too often? Most probably not. And Jay? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm obviously coming at this as a uh, a, a member of a, a a very old soap company, um, yes. and we still sell a lot of soap. So, uh, obviously, hand sanitizer isn't really a replacement for soap. It's it's more of a complement for it. And I really agree with Harold that we have to keep in um, in our mind what really happens when we use soaps and hand sanitizers. What do we lose? what can we resupplement, um, especially when we're getting in a situation where you're being, um, where recommendations are to really use soaps a lot more often than most people normally would, or even hand sanitizers. So, you know, can we supplement it? Can we go back to what, what Larry was saying and can we get this resilience, um, resilience going um, in terms of your microbiome? So. I think those are all things that we need to be very aware of and things that we're, you know, actively looking at is what, what you lose, what can you put back, how long it takes to bring everything back. Um, I think those are all very important questions in that space. And Maria, for you as a small brand, how are you, what are your consumers saying to you about uh, overwashing, over sanitizing? Are people coming to you direct with questions? We always like try to educate a lot about, you know, overwashing is not always good. And we, of course, change the, um, the speech with COVID because we keep saying overwashing is not that good, but please wash your hands as much as possible, which makes sense. Uh, so we start to educate a lot about more gentle surfactants because from what I understand, uh, it's one big 
um, disturbance of the microbiome is what kind of surfactant do you use? And then we play a lot on the replenishing after. So yes, please wash your hands, but after that replenish so that you can favorize the right kind of bacteria on your hands and that you can actually rebuild your skin barrier in a more efficient manner. Solari, replenishment, is that what your new brand is about? Um, well, uh, in part it is. So soap is still, hand washing is still the gold standard and the largest study that's ever been done on hand washing uh, indicated that um, plain old soap and water was able to produce a 50% reduction in respiratory illness. Now that was a disease that did not have as much aerosol spread as this one. Um, the balance between using surfactants on hands and washing away, you know, essentially what Jay, uh, what Harold was talking about, uh, and using alcohol hand sanitizers, everyone's skin is going to respond somewhat differently to this. Anyone who's ever worked in a clinical environment knows those people who've been washing their hands 30, 40, 50 times a day reapply a lotion to restore some of that barrier function. And I think people are going to have to find their own way, the one that works the best for them, because we're basically talking about changing people's behavior. But overwashing the skin and damaging the barrier puts people in a situation where, in fact, you could make it worse. And uh, today, uh, we're looking at a rapid behavior change and how people adapt to this. Uh, They're going to find their way through different product offerings until they find the one that they can actually remain compliant with. Because at the end of the day, it's a matter of compliance. But is that an opportunity for the microbiome, Harold? Yeah, uh, replenishment is well. Replenishment from from the top down is is something which which will give uh, replenishment with ceramides and or with prebiotics or with natural moisturizing factors is something which. I would see as a band-aid. Basically, uh, I think the epidermal differentiation process, especially, is, is 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 should be a focus. The epidermal differentiation process leads to healthy skin, leads to healthy microbiome. As a consequence of that, partly at least, of course, the microbiome is influenced by other uh, things from outside as well, of course. But it is replenishment is not the right word or not the right approach when it comes to uh, this definition we should really help the skin from within and the epidermis from within and and uh, that is well we we will be helped in let's say the most sustainable way so beauty from within um marie you've just launched food supplements is that your take on it as well uh, that's something I always wanted to do for quite a long time because there are actually quite good research on the gut-skin axis and how it can help with inflammation. And I was surprised that it's not something we talk more about. Um, and yeah, it was all we launched a beauty supplement. So it's all about just a beauty supplement, but it's been formulated for sensitive skin. Um, and it's based on, on some quite big, large probiotic studies uh, that I really liked. And yeah, I think it makes sense. It makes sense to work in conjunction. So like topical and inside, if you can. Uh, and, and I think it's more and more where beauty is going anyway, not only the microbiome, but the big area of beauty where beauty from within seems to be a massive trend. So microbiome beauty is a massive trend, so it would be a shame not to combine the two, I think. So interestingly, um this overwashing, wearing of masks, lack of vitamin D um, have resulted in new and increased issues of sensitivity. Who is innovating in the microbiome space? 
where are the opportunities? Larry, clearly we haven't seen the brand, but you see it um, as an opportunity to innovate. So we do. Look, uh, an overwhelming majority of um, women, certainly in, in growing number in men, identify themselves as having sensitive skin. Skin is the biomarker for your systemic health that you get to look at every morning. And it's the one that you can see. So it's starting to motivate people to think about the relationship. Um, we chose the word symbiome because it, it's actually a technical term that describes the connection between ourselves, our microbiome, and the world in which we live. Um, now, the problem is it's still very, very early in this science, and there's much more that, that we only know a tiny little bit, and that which we think we know um, is probably going to end up being a gross oversimplification of stuff that we don't yet even can't conceive. So if you look at what we're doing in terms of innovation, I would describe these as our first forays, our first experiments into how is it that we rebuild those types of connections. And it's not just sensitive skin, our entire physiology has become sensitive to the environment and these types of changes. So what we're doing is we're looking back to see as much as possible is what the healthy human looked like, the wild type human um, that didn't have nearly the burden of inflammatory disease that we carry today. Because I would suggest as a hypothesis that a lot of the things that we're seeing today is because we're living on the edge we're living in a state of sort of subclinical inflammation in terms of our gut, in terms of our physiology in general. So when pretty much anything comes along and tips us just a little bit over the edge, it shows up on our skin and we think we have sensitive skin or it shows up in our gut. And then we think we have all sorts of dietary sensitivities. But I think this is a reflection of the fact that um, we have a lot to learn uh, how to get back to a state where we have that kind of resilience. And the type of innovation that really needs to happen is one that is informed by evidence, not just by conjecture. And as we project our products and, our, our, and what we know out into the public domain, I think it is important to have um, a position of humility, a reflection not so much of this is what we know, but this is all that we don't know. Let's, work, let's discover this together. Because today, for where we are as a science in the microbiome, um, the burden of what we don't know is so much vaster than what we do know. And if the public thinks that we know more and that our products are going to do things, you know, recalled ex setting expectations, what will happen is um, by the time we do know something, we might have already burned our credibility. So I, I urge all of us in this field to just have a sense of deep humility and respect the fact that it's still early. And that's where innovation comes from. So Harold, it's early. We have new skincare problems from wearing masks, from uh, staying inside. What is CLR doing um, to combat this with their innovations? Well, our innovations, our product development times take about two, three years per, for a product to be put on the market. So. Hopefully in two, three years, we're going to be rid of COVID. <clears throat> that would be nice, wouldn't it? But essentially, uh, we're trying to understand and trying to find common de common denominators, so to say, to in, uh, when, when it comes to skin diseases, uh, dandruff, acne, uh, atopic dermatitis, now with the virus. 
uh, skin barrier uh, is 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 one of the one of the key things to look at, and and that is what we put a lot of emphasis on in our research. Uh, not of course we're making uh, ingredients for the cosmetic industry, so we're not curing any diseases, but we're supporting skin as much as we can. And um, basically, sensitivity is one of those things. One of the one of the principles of skin sensitivity is is, is 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 barrier function so that's that's really stands at the core of many many problems and that is a big focus and of course there's so many other parameters and 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 and, and uh, factors to look at uh, for different types of skin for aging skin for baby skin uh, for 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 very dry skin there's lots of uh, degrees of freedom there and that's what we try to understand and then make an ingredient on, which is obviously very difficult because one ingredient cannot do everything. Uh, but we stay ambitious. Uh, ambition is something that Procter & Gamble do very well, <laughs> Jay. <laughs> um, so new skin problems. Are your customers coming to you with the new skin problems? Are you um, solving them with uh, already known brands, already no known solutions? Talk us through that a bit. Things are yeah, changing I mean, rapidly. I, of course, I understand, but we have to come up with solutions as an industry. Right, right. And I think, you know, um, you know, even the, the concept of sensitive skin, I think Larry's right, we need to be a little bit careful about what how we would define sensitive skin sensitive to what what is the end result um, you can't just really go ask a consumer do you have sensitive skin we have a battery of questions when we want to investigate uh, a sensitive skin phenotype um, how do we go after that you know interestingly we use that battery to jet we just published a paper with 23 and me looking at the genetics of sensitive skin and it's not surprisingly very complex but it also interacts with acne, dermatitis, it interacts with a lot of these barrier kinds of, of genes and these barrier kinds of responses. So I think we're seeing, I wouldn't necessarily call them new things. I think they're, they're new manifestations of, of, of things we've actually seen before and things we actually understand. And I think just being able to identify and categorize those is going to be really important as we uh, as we move forward. And we and it, it is it's it's a very complex area that is an interaction between um, between um, genetics, um, psychology, um, dermatology, microbiome, everything. And so it's something that we're we're continuing to look at, and we continue to look at new and more and more interesting ways to uh, to improve um, sensitive skin. And Maria, as an indie brand, you possibly can move a little bit faster with product innovation than some of our guest panelists can as a company. What are your customers asking you for um, and how are you solving their problems for skin sensitivity? Uh, so what I find interesting is that I don't think there's new problems rising, I think your consumer sees different problems in a new light. So for example, I was quite surprised how quickly consumers understand that dermatitis and acne are two kinds of inflammation. And I can see the inflammation discourse really popping up lately a lot more. So it's interesting, like it's not that uh, difficult to make them understand that yeah, dermatitis, acne, sensitivity, it's all related, related to inflammation. And so if you take care of your body 
in one way you can fix all these kind of problems. Um, and I also see a lot of changes and innovation also just in the beauty industry by itself, like how we are shifting really quickly from natural cosmetics to sustainable cosmetics. And also from something that is quite, you know, buy more and like all the makeup trends that were for the last years. And suddenly it's all about minimalism, which suits the microbiome movement so well, because we've been saying for years, you know, the less you do, the better it is going to be for your skin. Um, so it's interesting that it's not new problem. It's just the consumer perception is changing really quickly. The microbiome movement isn't talking about product life cycle, though, Marie. That is something that is uh, very quiet in your uh, field. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I'm a good French little pharmacist. So for me, you know, a good basic can last for 20 years and you don't need to uh, have something with a lot of bell and whistle to work. Uh, so French pharmacy is always known to have very boring products, but that work really well. And it seems that the trend in beauty for going forward is going to be old boring products that work really well. So I'm okay with that. In April 2020, the global wellness industry was worth 4.5 trillion US dollars with an expected annual growth rate of 4% between 2020 and 2025. How is the microbiome movement entering into this space? Marie. Uh, I was just reading an article this morning saying how the new uh, Gen Z is moving from self-care and wellness to useful minimalism, which I love. Um, but I think on this podcast, actually, uh, Jeff Briggs said probably last year, that it's not the microbiome movement is going to enter in the beauty world, is that all the beauty is going to be microbiome movement because that's how it is. When we just knew about skin, we were talking about skin and caring about skin. Now that we start to understand the microbiome, you cannot just uh, forget about it or ignore it. So all beauty products are going to be either microbiome friendly or caring for the microbiome. Um, is not entering the beauty space, it's just taking over. Jay, wellness, P&G, got lots of interesting things to say about wellness. We, uh, and recently we've made a strategic decision to kind of get out of cosmetic endpoints and really focus on skin health and, and other health endpoints and wellness endpoints. Yeah. Um, wellness is critical to the work that we, we actually do and understanding it um, at a true scientific level is critical. And one of the reasons I've, I've, I've been in the company as long as I have, um, you know, um, it's, it's also, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a balancing act, right? So we're, we're very, it's, it's critical to understand how products can influence wellness, how you can improve skin health, how you can improve gut health with gut, uh, products, et cetera without it entering into kind of a quasi-science into a, a, a strange mode, because it really is, you know, people have overused the kind of holistic, the term holistics, but it really is a holistic term. It's something that requires this intersection of, of biology and environment, and um, it's something that is going to require very high levels of scientific understanding, um, really great bioinformatics in order to to, to put your arms around that, this, uh, this biological complexity. And so it's, it's definitely something um, 
we're we're very into and something we're excited about where where the future ultimately is going is 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 gaining a deeper insight into this complex thing that we know as wellness. And Harold, you are a, a natural ingredients company. Wellness is what you do best. Depends on the definition, um, but basically, wellness I think is all about health and well-being. And you know, with health, health comes well-being, and hopefully the other way around as well. And uh, the consumer naturally is evolving into into a type of consumer who appreciates health much more than what we did in the past in the cosmetic industry, anti-wrinkle, anti-this and anti-that. So there's a much more positive approach uh, uh, needed. And that's what the consumer is dictating uh, us to do, so to say. And they like vitamins, they like probiotics, they like, they like relatively easily recognizable uh, products which they can easily link to health. And that is something which automatically leads to their appreciating uh, their appreciation for the microbiome although the cosmetic industry con needs to continue to communicate the microbiome and about microbiome friendliness of formulations or even positive influences we might have with a with a cosmetic formulation uh, that is a very important point so larry wellness is this why you're starting your new brand? I agree with everything that's been said. Wellness is kind of a state of being, a balance of our how we feel physiologically and emotionally. And I think that uh, as a result of the pandemic, people, as Marie said, our perception of this is evolving. Um, the other piece is that we're not going to, we couldn't see the microbiome, so we didn't even have an awareness it exists. We only decided it existed about 20 years ago. Um, and this is emerging out into the public. We had this germ theory of disease. And uh, a couple of years ago, I argued that we needed a germ theory of health as well. And we're going to evolve into that space where it goes from it's the presence of some bad actor that makes us sick to it's an absence or an imbalance among this massive organ system that we have that predisposes us to becoming sick. That said, where we are along that process, um, wellness has been a movement as more and more of us decide we you know, don't want to have to take medications, we don't want to feel sick, we don't want to identify ourselves as having disease. So what we're actually trying to do is essentially redefine health. Our knowledge of health, our understanding of health is I'm not sick yet. Um, our sense of wellness is, well, I don't feel sick and I don't look sick, so I'm not sick. And the things that I am doing, I believe, will contribute to that. But none of this is actually informed by a deep understanding of what a healthy human that is not somewhere along the spectrum of some subclinical inflammatory disease is. So, you know, as Jay said, this has to be driven by data and evidence. This has to be driven by an understanding. So our brand and what we're trying to do is advance a more global sense of what health is based on an understanding of what the evolutionary state of health of humans are and at the same time as educating people. Yes, and that's quite interesting. So information and misinformation, how can and does the microbiome movement protect its integrity? Jay, in 2019, Procter & Gamble collaborated with Chinese researchers and you launched a skin microbiome index. 
Has this resulted in less misinformation? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a continuing effort, right? And this is our work with the uh, Chinese Academy of Sciences um, and Dr. Xu's laboratory. Um, and I'm actually uh, um, a, a bit involved in, in some of those efforts. And um, it's really trying to do what Larry says is, is get, grasp this really complex thing and trying to understand, you know, um, is health the absence of bad bugs in the presence of good bugs? What does that actually mean? Um, what is the complexity of that? And it goes back to what I was saying about this this highly complex developing this kind of a micro uh, a bioinformatics capability that'll help us to gain a a deeper understanding of that and and what's good for one person is it the same as for another person and it's 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 the beginning and it's an area that we're actively looking at but it's something that I think we uh, we're um, really beginning to make some inroads into and I think the you know it's it's part of um, a scientific investigation process and we make sure that that's that's very clear you know you can't overpromise anything because we're still in the early stages of understanding this but um, I think that you know even with the the current uh, group of people we have here um, in this in this um, podcast I mean they're all people who are all actively looking at understanding the scientific basis for um, you know, that, that microbial skin interaction. And it's the same thing we're doing um, with the skin, with the gut, with the oral cavity, with all sorts of other areas as well. And Harold, how does the ingredient suppliers um, protect the industry, the microbiome movement, um, information and misinformation? Well, we make sure that 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 we do the right studies. Basically, yeah. I think that uh, you know the, 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 we deliver active ingredients to cosmetic brands, cosmetics producers, and they, many smaller companies, most of smaller companies, they rely on our, let's say, scientific validity. So the studies we perform in vitro, ex vivo, in in vivo. We take these very seriously, and we don't. Uh, it's very easy to make a gimmick and, and see some in vitro results, which are look nice, and then maybe make a nice diagram and a fancy brochure. That's it. It's very easy to make a mediocre in vivo study, and again, do the diagrams and and the brochure. Uh, but if you want to do it seriously, you'll be also successful sustainably, and that that's our in, that's our interest. That's CLR's interest. So, uh, so that that is that is our focus. And the skin microbiome being a hugely complex science, uh, and the cosmetic industry being very ambitious when it comes to making claims and 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 making promises to the cosmetic industry, that's sometimes a difficult. Thing for us to find, find let's say, common ground between what we consider to be good science and what our customers need as far as data for them to be able to uh, communicate uh, on the basis of. Okay, lastly, what are the opportunities for the microbiome in one, five and ten years' time? Will the science become a standard requirement for all custom uh, cosmetic personal care products? Or is that just the holy grail? Jay? I absolutely hope so. Um, <laughs> so, so um, obviously, um, we've invested a great deal, as, as have other companies, into, into developing um, high-quality science that, that goes behind our brands. Um, 
I started out in at PNG. I, I'm not really a microbiologist. I'm a molecular biologist, and so I supply a lot of the molecular tools that a lot of our microbiologists use. Um, and I started out um, doing a lot more in the genomics field. And there was a time when you saw genomics kind of deteriorate into kind of a marketing gimmick, and you know, uh, a, a, a the science is kind of in front of the brand instead of behind the brand. I think that um, there is, I, I, I'm actually, after going to a lot of these meetings in, in the microbiome area and later in, in, in genomics, I, I'm really, um, I, I'm feeling happy about what's actually happening. I'm seeing a lot of good science um, coming out. I'm seeing um, people really experimenting. Um, I like, you know, uh, some like Larry and, and Marie's companies, we're active, we like to see what they're act actively doing. You know, they're, they're doing things that's, that a large company like us sometimes just can't. And uh, I like to see how, and those are the things that are really pushing, pushing this space. So yeah, I think, you know, as the field begins to evolve, the science is getting really good. The, the sequencing tools, the bioinformatics tools, machine learning, all the algorithms are, are, are getting very impressive. And I think that it's going to continue to grow. And I think um, um, we're gonna see better science instead of worse, but I might be a little too optimistic. Marie, you saw a gap five years ago when you started your company. What's the next five years like? Uh, well, in five years, the thing that really changed is right, like the, the science has been a lot more. So what was an instinct five years ago, now we've got data and that's amazing. I would like to thank all the ingredient manufacturers that have been <laughs> in vitro and in vivo, uh, studying not only the impact of the ingredient on skin, but on the microbiome. Even if all the modeling system is not totally there yet, it's already so much better than before. And I guess the next five years is going to be, well, what I would love to see is a change in the way that we actually see and formulate beauty products uh, so that we can really do something milder and more efficient and gentler for the skin. So beauty products that actually help your consumer instead of just trying to fight the consumer ecosystem. Uh, so hopefully more minimalist product with good science. And also because I'm a brand, I see um, a bit further in the process. Uh, and I can see that a lot of brands now are launching probiotic skincare or just like a sub range of their brand with probiotics. And you can see that, yes, the claims are going to be a bit of a battlefield, I would guess, because they want to say a lot uh, without uh, having always a way to prove it. Uh, so it's interesting that the good people like Larry are very, very cautious about claims when the bad people are not that cautious. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting few years, I think, in the future. And Larry, in, if we have this conversation in one year's time, what does the future look like? So we'll have better tools. With better tools, we'll get better information. We'll be able to do things that we can't do today. Um, all of the tools we have right now are better than they've ever been before, but worse than they've ever than they'll ever be in the future. Our ability to to sequence and understand the microbiome is still really in its infancy. It's hard to standardize our methods just from one lab to another, much less you know um, you know within the industry. But that's going to that gets better every single day. The science keeps getting better, 
And with that, hopefully we'll, we'll set a standard for performance in this industry. Completely agree with uh, what everyone has said, but specifically what Maria just said, which is the notion of minimalist formulas. Less is more. Let's give people what they need, but not more. And in order to be able to do that, we really need better tools. So a year from now, five years from now, better science, better products, better health, and hopefully we can change behavior and we have healthier communities. And so that leads me nicely to you, Harold. Better formulas, less is more. Where does CLR see this going? Well, I think the consumer is already moving towards that 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 notion, so to say, that you know, minimal, minimalist uh, formulations, clean, safe uh, cosmetics, and these kinds of things. So, that that is a trend which will also be carried by the by the consumer. Uh, science is evolving, I think, uh, very slowly in the skin microbiome area. Uh, so if you would ask my boss, who's also the owner of our company, Stefan, what would you like to have as the next active ingredient? He will say an anti-aging product, you know, that because that's the biggest market, the cosmetic industry. So, uh, and that will be the answer of all the CEOs of all the active ingredient suppliers all over the world. So the holy grail from that point of view is understanding changes in the microbiome, skin microbiome during aging, and then of course, finding causal relationships, which is not one year or five year, possibly also not 10 years from now that we will understand enough, but it, that, you, you know, you need to have challenges in life. And that's, 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 that's the big one. That's the holy grail as far as I'm concerned when it comes to uh, active ingredient for the skin microbiome. Okay, I would like to thank everyone for taking part, Harold, Jay, Marie and Larry, and thank you to our audience for listening.